Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Corey for episode 27, which is uh, your long overdue um, season wrap-up after the Red Sox got swept by the Cleveland Indians. So, Matt, um, how you doing, man? I've uh, been crying for nine days, so that's why we couldn't do the podcast, but I'm starting to get over it. Yeah, it's understandable to be uh, to be crying for that long. So if anybody wants to uh, go ahead and follow you on Twitter and see uh, everything that you've been typing furiously since then, um, they can do so at MattyMatty2000. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry for the um, unfortunate lull in our podcast, but we've been having a little bit of technical issues, me me especially, the one who records this podcast. So uh, we weren't able to bring it to you, but now we're going to bring you all sorts of good stuff about the, uh, the season wrapping up. So uh, the season wrapping up in itself is not a good thing, though. The Red Sox ended the season with a 4-3 to three loss to the Indians, ending Poppy's career. Uh, series sweep. Um, I just want to get general thoughts from you, Matt, about that series because we haven't had a chance to talk about it on this forum yet. Um, what did you see in the series? What went wrong? Um, well, they got outpitched. Um, I think that's the thing that you know that I didn't see coming to the extent that it you know that it happened. Um, and uh, you know, Francona. You know, he he kind of got his revenge. He did a tremendous job. I I, I want to stay away from saying that you know he outmanaged Farrell. I think Farrell actually did a pretty 
a pretty good job. I, I, I wouldn't have made the Benintendi switch in game three, but, you know, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, he did a pretty good job getting to his bullpen, not leaving starters out too long. Um, you know, there was that, the unfortunate home run that Pomerantz gave up, um, you know, and the Red Sox bats just never really got going against Kluber in game two. And that was, that was kind of the, the real, the real rough thing where they weren't able to hit Kluber at all. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the, the big takeaway for me is, is to the, ex- the extent to which they, uh, the Indians pitchers outpitched the Red Sox. And, you know, when we talked about, you know, the, the previewed the series and the, on this podcast, we talked about how the Red Sox have an advantage, um, you know, on, on the pitcher's mound, um, especially, you know, with starters and the Red Sox, uh, you know, offense really didn't take advantage of that. They, they definitely didn't hit Kluber at all. They, they had trouble against, um, you know, Bauer. They had, they had trouble against, um, Tomlin, especially against Tomlin. And, uh, you know, those guys are fine pitchers and not, you know, you wouldn't kick them out of your rotation. Um, but, those are guys that the Red Sox offense, you know, needed to hit to, to stay alive in the postseason, and, and you know they didn't do it. Um, you know, Price had a, a very Price had Price like start. Man, you know, it, yeah, it, it's kind for of the postseason. I think that's well. I wouldn't even say for the postseason. I mean, yeah, I guess so. Uh, the results were bad, but. It, it was actually kind of a, a, a very David Price 2016 start. You know, he gave up a bunch of just weak garbage hits. You know, in a row, it just they just it came out in a row there, and then he gave up that you know that launch of a home run, um, which was just you know incredibly ill timed. Right. Uh, I mean, that's you know you the. Um, Mike Petriello, uh, formerly of Fangraphs, now of MLB Advanced Media, he he's been uh, tweeting out. I think it's him. It might be Darren Willman instead, but one of those guys who are both fantastic, by the way, um, has been tweeting out what uh, you know the percentage times uh, that any given that, that a certain um, hit is actually a hit or or is a home run. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, um, I think uh, I think it was yesterday. Um, the the Blue Jays uh, Encarnacion hit a really long uh, fly ball and and uh, you know it went right to the wall and it you know it had a velocity of something and a launch angle of something and that ball was a hit or you know is a home run whatever it is twenty three percent of the time something like that and in this particular case it wasn't a home run well I I would be interested to go back and look at those three whatever two or three hits that Price gave up in a row before that home run. I think it was three straight hits and one run scored on the third single. Um, and then, then there was the, the three run homer after that. Um, I, I bet none of those are hits more than 15% of the time. I mean, they're, they're Those were all outs though. That's, that's good pitching. And then the home run was, you know, it was David Price. He gives up a home run every game. Um, yeah, but the Chisholm Hall, that was really bad. Yeah. That's yeah, a guy yeah. who he should dominate. It was terrible. Um, it was a bad pitch, and and Chisinau hit it really well. So you know, kind of a combination there. But it, it wasn't, you know, 
nine times out of ten, that's not a four-run inning. That's a one-run inning or a two-run inning. Or or it's not even the second inning. That home run happens in the third inning because Price goes one, two, three in the second inning. So I don't know. I, I just looked at that and I went, oh, you've got to be kidding me, baseball gods. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, those those hits were, I don't want to say lucky, but they were. They like were. Just, they were lucky. Yeah. <laughs> totally lucky. There's, there's an element of that to them. But at the same bad. time, like the 100%. Red Sox need to be able to hit the pitching that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was that in this series and it's just yeah it's just crazy that they weren't able to and there was just a, a sort of team-wide lack of aggression that i saw especially from guys like Betts and bogarts against uh, especially who just throws tons of strikes yeah no you're exactly right jake and and that doesn't excuse uh you know the, the red sox offense uh at all you know they they needed to do a much better job and they you know they didn't um, and, uh, you know, that's sort of the, you know, the, the genius and also the problem of a, of a short series like, like this is, you know, you can lose, um, you know, there, there's no time to settle in, you know, like we, we saw the Red Sox offense go through, uh, periods during the year where it seemed like, you know, they would, they would take, uh, until a fifth inning to get going and then they'd score six or seven runs or something like that, you know? Um, but, but how many times did they get like no hit, you know, through the first four innings or three innings? Um, I feel like we saw that a a fair amount, you know? Um, and, uh, you can't really do that. And, and that's the, that was also kind of the genius of, of Francona. He didn't leave his guys out there to have that happen, you know, for the Red Sox to, you know, to, to hit them that third time through the order, um, you know, he brought in Andrew Miller in the whatever it was, the the, the sixth inning, the fifth inning. I mean, um, I went back through and looked at it, and uh, Miller and uh, was it Miller and Shaw and Allen? Yeah. I think were combined one of those three games uh, in terms of total innings. They threw nine and a third innings out of the twenty-seven. Yeah, um, those guys were phenomenal. They were game changers, and and Farrell's man. I mean, uh, Francona's management of that bullpen was just so aggressive and so perfect. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to look at what personnel he has. I mean that that group of relievers has been amongst the best this year. And when we talked about them um, pre-series, we talked about sort of those top four guys in their bullpen being amazing, and then the bottom four being kind of like eh. But right. th- those bottom four didn't even have to see any time, really, at all. Um, yeah. And Andrew Miller has just proven himself to be the weapon to end all weapons. And is it? it's kind of interesting that of all of the trades that went down this year, uh, the Andrew Miller move is going to end up probably being the most impactful uh, player to switch teams this entire season. Yeah, and isn't it funny that uh, I mean I think that's exactly what the Orioles wanted when they traded for Miller from the Red Sox two years ago, right? Uh, the irony being that the Orioles are the team that employs Buck Showalter, the manager who refused to use Drake Britton in an elimination game. Not yeah, not yeah Zach Britton. Exactly. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, looking back at the series, that the thing that uh, one of the things that we can move on from this whenever you want, but the the thing that really kills me is. The Red Sox let Francona get away with using his relievers like that. 
because they didn't require him to use anybody in uh, in the second game of the series. Um, so, you know, Kluber went seven innings. Um, the Red Sox got three hits off of him and three walks. So mm-hmm. less than a batter per inning reached base. And at that point, they were they were down. I think they were down six nothing at that point. Yeah, they were because Price gave up the four spot in the second inning. So, um, and at that point, there was no need to use. I mean, I think they used Shaw anyway. Um, but they, you know, they didn't need to use Miller. They didn't need to use um, who's their who's their other really good pitcher? Otero. Just, Dan Otero. They did use Otero in that game. No, I'm thinking of um, Allen. Allen, thank you. Yeah, he's yeah. there. He's their second best reliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they didn't have to use Miller or Allen after using them both for a combined four innings in the first game. Right. Uh, so, you know, that was your chance to get to that weak part of the Indians' bullpen, and the Red Sox completely blew it. Um, well, I, I can't help but think that the biggest takeaway that um, Sox fans are going to have from this series, it's not going to be um, – the lack of aggressiveness of the bats where I think that's really the biggest problem in this entire series. If you're going to look at anything, it's that that was the issue. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to continue to point to price and his lack of success in the postseason and say, you know, why are we paying this guy? What, what we're paying him for what's now a 574 ERA in the postseason over, um, you know, nine starts for him. He's Owen nine, or his team is 0-9 when he starts. He's personally 0-8 now. Uh, meanwhile, I just can't shake the the fact that the Red Sox could have had John Lester for much less money. Uh, and John Lester has, I believe it's, I have the numbers in front of me, a 2.57 ERA uh, with a 102 whip uh, in the postseason over uh, 16 games started. So... Um, you, you you traded a guy who or not traded you i'm i'm saying that because i feel like you could have had lester if you were just more aggressive here but instead of having lester who is a known quantity you decided to go after a guy like price who costs more money and has had less playoff success and is only about a year older so i don't really want to hear the age issue from people and Uh, how much better he is and all that stuff. I don't care if he's better in the regular season. This is a club that wants to contend in the postseason. And it's just, it's kind of crazy that you let a homegrown ace like that just go away. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it sucks quite, you know, and I said it at the time, it it was, it was a, a, a dumb, cheap, you know, decision. I don't know what else to say about it, but man, that that's old news at this point. You know, like they've got who they've got, and I yeah. Would you rather have Lester than Price? I mean, for the money that the Red Sox could have had him for, yes, I think so. I that said, you know, I think there's an argument, um, and not and not a bad argument uh, to be made that Price has been the better pitcher throughout his career. Um, in you know, in the regular season for sure. Um, and you know, then you can you can start to look at things like like for example, Clayton Kershaw, who has had up to this year has had a 4.59 ERA in the postseason. Um, you know, Kershaw is I think it's inarguable he's the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, would you rather have Kershaw or John Lester pitch a game for you 
it, pick your date. I will take Kershaw. Yeah, well, Kershaw's now shaken that over the last four times that he's appeared in the postseason. Right, and that's exactly the point. Like, you know, the the postseason is a is a small, you know, relatively random sample of of games. We don't know, you know, guys are are you know if you're if you're dinged up for one game, that is that can change this the entire series, especially in a five game series. You know, um, if you you throw some some bad pitches, you know, you, there's no time to make up for it. Now that's not not to take anything away from any of the teams that are winning or or excuse any of the teams that are losing. You know that. That's the setup, and that's the way it works. But I don't think that you can look at the postseason and go, okay, this always gives you the best teams, and this always the result always gives you the best teams, or the result always gives you the best players. Um, the way players have performed in the postseason is, I think, far less indicative of how they will perform in the postseason than the way that they perform over the course of the regular season. I agree with you in – most circumstances, but that's you, usually policy. I would say when you look at um, you know what the sample sizes for other aces that have struggled in the postseason, none of them are really out of the current guys that are in the major leagues right now. None of them are really of the same size sample size of David Price or what he's got right now, what he's struggling through in the postseason, and this is becoming more of a thing as this sample size continues to grow. Like, you talked about Kershaw, but Kershaw's was like half of the sample size that Price's was, and then he figured it out. And we kind of always knew because he did pitch fairly well, even though he had a little bit of bad luck every once in a while. He would still have some decent starts in there, but Price has just been bad pretty much his entire time in the postseason. There's there's something wrong with that, right? Um. Well, now you're making me look things up, but um, but I don't believe that's true, first of all. Uh, second of all, we as Red Sox fans know uh, what David Price can do in the postseason because he kicked our butt in 2008. Um, you may remember that. Now, it was out of the bullpen, um, but he pitched incredibly well, and he was a big reason that they won that series. Um, I mean, Francona has been asked in the past, you know which of of his Red Sox team does he think was the was the best? Um, and this is a guy who managed two World Series championships and brought two champion teams in Boston. And he has he routinely picks the 2008 team as, as his uh, who he thinks is is the best team, and that's the one that David Price beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Price has appeared in. Let me see here. I got a total up. Um, Price has appeared in 15 games. That's including this year. So go for, if you're not counting this year, say 14 games. Uh, Kershaw has appeared in, before this season, 13 games. Um, Kershaw has a 459 ERA in those games. That's before this year. How many innings for each of those guys, though? Because Price was a starter for more of those games than Kershaw was. Actually, the innings are almost the same. Uh, Kershaw, this is not counting this year, 642 so 64 and two-thirds. Uh, price, that count, counting this year for Price is 66 and two-thirds. So 63 and a third versus um, 64 and two-thirds. It's the same. Um, though, yeah, so I, I just don't, I don't think there's anything extraordinarily, 
I haven't seen anything from David. I mean, did you see anything from David Price in that one game that we didn't see all year? We saw strikeouts. We didn't see you know uh, many walks. We right. saw the home run at you know an incredibly ill-timed <laughs> home run. Um, you know, I mean, remember the first inning where he just mowed him down? We saw innings like that right. all during the regular season. I, I don't think it's any different. Now, you know, hopefully he has a better year next year. Hopefully the baseball gods smile on him a little bit more, um, you know, next season. Um, and, you know, hopefully he doesn't give up that, that crushing home run when there's two guys on base. I mean, but the other thing is I don't think you can pin this on David Price uh, because – of something you already said, which is that the Red Sox just didn't hit Corey Kluber. So that's true. If, if Price gives up that home run and throws a complete game, that's the only hit he gives up is that home run. Mm-hmm. They still lose one to nothing. So, um, I yeah, I, I think uh, I think we should move on to talking about the the uh, uh, the off season though because this is depressing. <laughs> yeah, I I will end the with with this before we do move on. I think you're letting him off the hook a little bit too much. Like, yeah, he he did have a disappointing year this year in the first half, and he did do very David Price like things from this year in that one playoff start. But there is something to be said about his symptomatic playoff issues that he's had, and I don't know. I'm just not willing to let the guy off the hook. I think he has a bad mentality. I think some of the comments that he made after the game about, you know, it was a good pitch and, you know, it just got away from me or or um, when he said that he's going to make these fans in Boston love him. I mean, just don't worry about that stuff. I just don't know if he has the right makeup for this market, honestly. And good players perform at their best when it matters. And I know that's kind of an old cliche, but we're seeing it now in the playoffs. You know, players like Andrew Miller, players like Kershaw uh, carrying the day. So that's what he's supposed to do, and he didn't do it. So that's why I'm not going to let him off the hook. So am I allowed to swear? Um, All right, I won't. <laughs> I don't give a crap what he says after the game. I honestly, God, could not care any less. It does not matter. What he says after the game that he lost, and then the Red Sox lose the next game, we've got all off season. You know what matters far more is is how he comes into next season. If he's in good shape, he's you know in a in a good place mentally, um, and then of course how he pitches. Um, but we know that um, it it just doesn't. It's not going to affect anything. And I think if if there's anything, you know that that Red Sox fans can take away from it, it's it's that. If if we collectively turn on a on any player, including David Price, we are making it a lot more difficult on him. Now I don't know how much of an effect that's going to have on his uh, on his actual pitching. You seem to think it's going to have a lot of effect. Um, yep. I I don't know, but uh, I I do think that you know if, if Sox fans turn on him or on any player, they are. Um, you know, cutting off their nose despite their face. But that's that's the market. You know, this that's that's what he chose to do is come here to pitch, and the market does turn on you if you don't perform in those situations. Like he can go out and win the Cy Young next year and pitch amazingly, and if he screws up in the playoffs again, everybody's going to hate him again. Well, I think that's stupid. Well, <laughs> it's it's the truth though. That's that's what's going to happen. So, and if he can't get over that, he shouldn't pitch here. So. 
That's that's his right. issue. We're not going to agree on this, so we're going to move on. All right. So, yeah. How do we fix this team going forward? What is there to fix? There's there's a really good team here. Let's let's just leave it at that for for now. Well, if David Price is a bad pitcher who can't win in the postseason, then that's a that's a fatal flaw, man. That is a fatal flaw. I mean, if only you so, had a John Lester lying I, around to to pitch some of these games, that'd be cool. But I think all Red Sox fans who think David Price can't win in the postseason uh, should just ignore the next two years of games. Just take the take two years off. Don't go on Twitter. Don't watch the games. Don't go to them. Uh, just ignore them, and hopefully he'll leave after two more years and go back in the free agent market, and then then we can get a real winner in here. Because I'm telling you, man, it, it, if you think that the ace of the Red Sox can't pitch in the postseason, it, it's not going to happen. They're not going to. They're not going anywhere. Matt, a, there's no proof that he can pitch in the postseason. There's also no proof that he can't. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> there He's is. A, there's numbers. He has not pitched in the postseason. He has not performed in the postseason. Those aren't you can't like argue that and be like, no, he's he's been great in the postseason, or he has these numbers, or he deserved to win this start. No, he has not pitched well in the postseason. Jake, he's thrown one thousand six hundred and seventy-one innings in his career, and and you want to tell me that sixty-four innings or whatever it is 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 a better indicator of how he's going to pitch? I'm not telling you that he's not a good player. But for those 64 innings, has he pitched well? No, and you can cherry-pick any 64 innings throughout his career where he's but, pitched badly, and he's also pitched badly in those. But those are the innings that win championships. That's yeah. that's what this city expects, man. It's, well, listen, it's been you know, then, 11 or 13 years I, or whatever it is of championship runs for teams in Boston. If you cannot perform when it matters, people are going to hate you. I'm just telling you how it is, man. Well, I appreciate that. It, again, then, just next two years, <laughs> you know, and and hope he leaves because there's six more after that if he does, three more after that if he doesn't. I, I, I don't think there's any fatal flaw in David Price that makes it so that he can't pitch in the postseason. Has he pitched badly in the postseason so far? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he's gotten a little unlucky, but but uh, but absolutely. And I think... Um, you don't think he feels the pressure more acutely than somebody like John Lester? You don't think that that could be it? Like physically, stuff-wise, everything's there for this guy. The mental side of the game is clearly a big part of postseason success, and he has I, not had success. I think you're reading a lot that into it that, that isn't there. I mean, I, you know, again, would you rather have John Lester? I... I love John Lester irrationally, uh, and I was very upset when the Red Sox let him go. Um, and so it's almost like not even a fair question for me. <laughs> I feel like uh, I would much rather have John Lester. Uh, but um, but Lester has had bad postseason starts too, man. I mean, there's not uh, – it's – yeah, I don't know. I don't have any more arguments to make on this. I, I just – I, I don't think that you can look at 60-whatever cherry-picked innings uh, and conclude that he doesn't have the right makeup, uh, that he doesn't, um, you know, all those things. I just, I just don't, I don't buy it. I think, I think you, have to, you have to want it, man, and I, I suggest that you, uh, you, you step away from the cliff and, uh, and look at the totality of the, of the player 
and uh, I think that I think you'll see a, a really good pitcher and one who should be able to you know help the Red Sox win a championship sometime over the next couple years. Hey, listen, I hope you're right. I'm going to be tuning in for every game from here on out, um, so well, I will got- not be skipping any of them, like you, a- you suggested, but. Um, we, you know what? We gave our our uh, our listeners our first real uh, argument um, of of the season with the last uh, podcast to tie up the season. I'm just, reading, so. the, I'm just reading the script that you gave me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was this was all played out beforehand. Um, but listen, Poppy's not on the team anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so that's not good. Um, I wrote an article about some guys who could potentially replace his bat in the lineup. I looked at a lot of the free agents. Now, this is just free agents out there, not guys who are going to be available via trade, and we'll get to those guys too. Um, some guys that I brought up, Edwin Encarnacion, who's been talked about a lot, uh, Joey Bats, both those guys, free agents for Toronto this year. Uh, a couple older players, Matt Holiday, Carlos Beltran, and then... Um, Two guys who I dubbed the other guys, uh, Josh Reddick and Steve Pierce. Um, any thoughts on what those guys bring to the table? Any of those names sound interesting and like they could be a good fit to replace that right-handed or uh, that not the the ability to crush right-handed pitching, which is what the Red Sox are really looking to replace when they replace David Ortiz. Obviously. You know the preference is a lefty who can who can mash righties, but bottom line is you want somebody who can mash right-handed pitching, um, whatever side they bat from. And they do get Pablo Sandoval's left-handed bat back in the lineup as well. So um, probably, yeah, in all likelihood, and he batted yeah. from the left side most of the time uh, right. when he right. when he's healthy. So um, um, out of those options, who do you like? Well, you got to like Encarnacion. I mean, if for no other reason than, you know, he's the guy that David Ortiz endorsed. <laughs> I mean, to the point where I think Ortiz got uh, reprimanded by Major League Baseball uh, for, for tampering. Yep. Um, yep, he did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's going gonna, it, gonna to depend on the, on the cost. Um, Encarnacion took a bit of a step back this year. Not a tremendous one, but a, but a little bit. Um, you know, I, I do like the idea of a guy who can play first base, and you you know you split that with um, you know with Hanley and kind of move guys in and out a little bit, keep players healthy. Um, I uh, it, you know maybe having a stopgap like a like a Beltron or um, uh, I don't know maybe it depends on what you know what you could get from what you could get uh, you know Batista for. I, I just don't I don't really see a fit with Bautista. I don't I don't either. Uh, so the the problem with Bautista is that this is a guy who probably still wants to play the field. He's going to be 36. He's not a good fielder. Um, yeah. He hasn't really had much time at first base, which is also where they need somebody to rotate. Um, yeah, they really don't need an outfielder. So that kind of Unless unless he wants to DH and and partial you know take and, and play first base a little bit, and I so I would say that kind of eliminates him, and also from your list Josh Reddick probably I mean one of the, you know one of the good things about Reddick is you know playing right field and his strong arm and, um, 
you know, the Red Sox are pretty set, I think, in the outfield, unless unless they make a trade. I mean, you know, yeah. obviously. That's how I preface that one is Reddick is probably not somebody that the Red Sox acquire unless they were to trade Jackie Bradley Jr. or one of the outfielders in a larger trade, in which point he would slide in there. And I envision him as pretty much the perfect platoon partner to Chris Young because Reddick absolutely destroys right-handers. Chris Young destroys left-handers. Um, so that little platoon right there could be pretty amazing in the field and at the plate. Yeah, assuming you could get – well, I guess you could put Reddick in, in left, right? Right. right. Correct. That's that's how I would think of it. If Jackie did move off, what they would do is probably put Reddick in young and left, um, Benintendi in center, and keep Mookie in right. I think there's going to be a pretty big um, – you know, there'll be a lot of teams that I think go after Encarnacion, and you know the Red Sox may be uh, one of those teams. Um, you know, the fact that he's going to cost a, a, you know, a first-round pick yep. uh, that I I really don't like. Um, Both him know. and Joey Bats are costing first-round picks. So if you're going to sign one of those two guys, Edwin makes so much more sense to sign than Joey Bats. Um, Joey's coming off a, a season where. He had uh, his worst true average mark since before his breakout in 2009. So yeah, um, yeah. we're seeing uh, what could be a pretty precipitous decline for a player who is already 36 years old coming in next year. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what what kind of deal he gets. You know, I mean, we we, we all remember the beginning of the year how he, you know, basically told the reporters that he, he was dictating, you know, what he would sign – four uh you know he put out to the blue jays this is what it, it's going to take and apparently it was a you know a, a pretty high number um but that and, came out later is not true right that he didn't actually say 35 million or whatever the crazy number was yeah i i think the number that circulated wasn't exactly accurate but he didn't say whether it was higher or lower i mean i don't i don't recall that you know he said it wasn't exactly thirty million a year, or, or exactly one hundred and fifty, whatever the number that he said. But in any case, my my guess is that there's going to be a sizable difference between how the market values Jose Bautista and how Jose Bautista values Jose Bautista. Um, so that could be uh, that could be interesting. I I do like um, your idea of, of Beltron. I actually hadn't thought of that, and I think I don't know why because I'm not very I guess creative. Um, but uh, but I like I like the idea of, of Beltron. He had a he had a pretty good year. Um, you know, obviously, you know, playing the field is not his strong suit either. So he'd probably uh, be relatively happy to be you know sort of a full time DH. Um, and uh, you know he put up a pretty strong season. So maybe uh, you know a one year deal with the team option or something like that would uh, would entice him. Yeah, and he's a guy who knows how to play in the AL East too. You know, he's he's been doing that for a while, and then his time with the Rangers didn't go incredibly well last year. But he's a forty-year-old who's pretty intent on uh, continuing to play. My my one concern with him though is that he has been much better against left-handed pitching than he has been against right-handed pitching lately. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, maybe I haven't dug into the numbers as much as I probably could have, um, but Pakoda really has him in store for a huge drop-off 
uh, next year. Um, true average going all the way down from 279, what it was this year, to 244 is what well, they're I, predicting. I can tell you probably at least in part why that is, and it's because of his age. I mean, guys yeah. don't don't tend to you know last long, and when you get towards this part of the age curve, um, you know there's there's fewer and fewer uh, comps you know that that Dakota draws upon. Uh, you're all, you're drawing on on comps of players whose careers have ended right. uh, because of age. So so yeah, I'm sure they they hate it. They would hate him. And if if they do a Pakoda for David Ortiz next year, they probably hate him too, um, <laughs> just based on that. So um, so I, I in any case, I think uh, you know I probably like like uh, like that like a stopgap kind of one year thing and give the Red Sox a chance, but. Um, there's some uh, there's some other guys that are maybe more long term that we talked about off uh, off air. I don't know what the terminology is for a podcast. Yeah, uh, let's go with off air. Okay. Um, is it okay to bring those up? Those guys up? Yeah, let's now? do it. Let's do it. So, um, you know, if you look at some of the teams that are you know way down at the bottom of the standings. Um, you know there are some players who who might fit pretty well with the Red Sox. One of them is Joey Votto. Um, you know Votto plays for the Reds. The Reds are pretty awful. Um, Votto had you know sort of a bounce back year this year. Um, he was one of the best uh, hitters in baseball. His on base percentage is uh, fabulous. His uh, let's see if I can find him on here. There we go. Um, yeah, 434 on base percentage. Um, he uh, walks almost as much as he strikes out. Um, the you know the big drawback with him is the contract that the Reds gave him. Um, so you know he he'll be paid. Excuse me until 2023. You know that is uh, such a long contract. It's insanely long, and it's not even that the money is too much per se. Like next year, he's going to make uh, twenty-two million dollars. He never makes more than twenty-five million dollars in any given year. But he is how old is he now? He he's is, thirty-three. He's going to be thirty-three for all of next year. Okay, so so you're talking about you know bringing bringing aboard a guy who uh, you're going to essentially be be giving a let's see one two three four five six seven year contract is that right yep seven um, years yeah seven years at age 33 uh i don't know maybe maybe you do that um he's a pretty good fit for the offense that's for sure i mean everything that he does he bats left-handed he hits both both sided pitching i mean he's he's awesome he's he's as good as it gets and he'll probably continue to age pretty well so, so that's that's a you know if the Reds are willing to move him, um, you know the the Red Sox. I, I think for the purposes of this conversation, we will just spe- you know just uh, uh, state that the Red Sox have enough minor league, um, you know, talent where they can they can make trades for big players. Um, I, what, I don't think that he would cost as many big players either as a lot of the other names that we're about to bring up because of that contract that's attached to him. See, I don't know, I. He had such a good year that he's certainly worth the money that that they're you know certainly on a yearly uh, basis he's he's worth what they're paying him and more um, and you also have to look at the Reds I mean you know they're kind of in a youth movement now they they I guess I don't know if Tony Phillips is, is it not Tony Phillips uh, 
Who's their second baseman? Um, Brandon Phillips. Brandon Phillips. Oh my gosh, Tony Phillips is way retired. Um, <laughs> You're showing anyway, your age, Matt. I know. I know. Uh, well, so I, I'm talking to you uh, and trying to think about these things, but I'm also trying. My cat is insisting on walking on the computer, so I keep having to move the computer back and forth, so the cat does not sit on it. Um, so I'm also I'm fighting this battle also. Um, but uh, but anyway, so I. You know, my guess is that it might take a fair amount of talent to to pry Votto loose um, from Cincinnati. He's kind of institution there. He's their best player by far. Yeah, uh, they're you know they're not going to be spending that much on salary. So um, you know, giving this money to him probably isn't going to sink them. Um, I don't think it's a question of necessarily getting out um, from under their from under this contract. Um, but in any case. I think uh, you know Votto obviously fits fits in with any team that has has a hole of first base or DH, and, and uh, I think that would be an incredibly exciting addition, um, you know, for the Red Sox. Um, the uh, another guy that that you brought up is is, uh, and and now it's I think especially interesting given what Mike Hazen uh, has has done by moving over to take over the um, the Diamondbacks is. Um, Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt, yeah, yeah, Paul Goldschmidt. Um, who? Well, why don't you talk about him? Why? Why do you like him so much? Um, well, because he's some. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, he's a righty who crushes both right and left-handed pitching. He's 29 years old. Um, he's going to be 29 all of next season, and he's got a super team-friendly deal. One that was signed. Uh, you know, I think it was signed in 2013, but basically he signed on extremely cheap money, $32 million contract over five years, which ends in 2018, but has an option year for 2019. Um, and he's really one of the best hitters in all of baseball over the last few seasons. He's posted, you know, five plus war seasons in a lot of these years, depending on whose war you look at. Um, he's a really good you know, fielder at, at first base. I, I think he solves a lot of problems for the Red Sox. And this is a guy that, you know, clearly uh, made some miscalculations when he signed that deal. And I think who has a lot of incentive to play extremely well through the remainder of that deal. So he can get paid out again um, when that's over. So um, I think Paul Goldschmidt's pretty much the best case scenario here in terms of age and talent level. Yeah, I think you know the the danger is the cost. Obviously, like how much uh, you know how much do the Red Sox have to give up, and it doesn't really behoove us to sit here and speculate. But my guess is it would be substantial. Yeah, uh, it would be Moncada, Benintendi, or Bradley probably to start, and then you'd add on to that. Yes, one probably of, one of those three guys would be the the core. Possibly even two of them. I I don't know. I mean, um, you're talking about. One of the, like you said, one of the premier hitters in baseball, uh, and for, signed for three years at a at a below market contract. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's going to run you. But you know, the Red Sox could afford to pay it if if um, you know if Hazen were to decide to uh, to tear down um, instead of build up. Um, so I, I I don't know what his 
I don't know if he knows what his plans are yet. He's going to have to figure it out pretty quick. But- yeah, he, he just had his intro press conference, and he was asked a similar question to that, like, you know, what's the plan for the roster? And he was like, it would be really poor of me to even speculate that I know what's going on with, you know, this roster at this point. So he, he's got a tremendous amount of uh, work to do on that roster. But should he yeah. decide that either um, Goldschmidt or um, – who's their really talented center fielder, Pollock, uh, who's coming back from injury, should be moved. The the winter meetings would seem a pretty good time to start exploring that. Yeah, I agree. I think think that's when we're going to hear a lot of names start start coming out like like we always do every year. Um, And uh, there's one other guy. um, Freddie Freeman. There he is. Actually, there's two more guys on our prospective trades for first base list. Freddie Freeman, who comes in at – um, 27 years old to start next year. He's, you know, right in the middle of his prime. Just had his best season of his professional career. Again, a guy with no platoon splits. Plays pretty good defense. Um, I was shocked that he was able to hit 34 home runs this year, considering what was behind him in the lineup. Yeah, and also he hasn't really shown that kind of power before. No, yeah, he he's been kind of like what everyone hopes Eric Cosmer will someday turn into, right. um, but. Yeah, two sixty-seven ISO. Right, right. So that's kind of the the thing about Freeman is, um, you know, how much are you buying into this being, you know, the the new uh, the new version of Freddie Freeman? So if you look at, we'll just go since his his first year with the Braves, first full year, he played one hundred fifty-seven games. So I'll just give you slugging percentages. 448, 456, 501, 461, 471, and then this year, 569. So that's that's the obvious uh, outlier right there. Um, I don't know uh, if that's really uh, who he's going to be going forward. But, you know, I think given where the Braves are, uh, it it makes sense for them to be willing to move Freeman for the right price. Mm-hmm. Um, He's also got a really friendly deal too. He's signed through 2021, 135 right. million over eight years, which in today's market is a huge bargain. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so yeah. I mean, if the Red Sox are going to go big um, on on one of these, you know, big bats, um, I think I think honestly, my preference would be to go with with Votto. I, he's got a, a longer track record. You know, even if the power isn't quite there, the on-base percentage is always there. Um, you know, I I think he would be he would be an amazing addition to the lineup, um, and I think the Red Sox can afford the money. Um, well, let me give you one more before you decide on Votto. Oh, sorry, if I jumped the gun, I apologize. No, no problem. Um, one more guy who they could technically afford uh, is Miguel Cabrera, and. This is very unlikely to happen, and we talked about this off the air too, is because uh, Illich, their owner there, is pretty hell-bent on uh, winning, even though he's got a really aging core and no farm system. But if they do decide to part with him, um, Miguel is still just 33 years old, so he's not you know ancient by any means. And, I mean, I mean the, just- the numbers that he's put up, I don't think he's he's put up anything less than an MVP level line over the last, I don't know, 12 years. It's, it's incredible what this guy's able to do. He had 38 home runs last year, 247 ISO. 
393 OBP. This guy is as good as it gets. He's Manny Ramirez. He's incredible. He, yeah. he, he, I think he might be better than Manny. When you look uh, at his entire, like, if you factor everything in, I don't know. He's he's close. They're very close. They are close, yeah. Um, now I'm curious. Um, <laughs> let's see. They're both terrible defenders, though. Yes, they're both bad defenders, um, and Manny got especially atrocious towards the end. Never, I don't think, I, I think always doing, you know, I don't think Cabrera has ever done the damage that that Manny has, and um, so I think that's that's probably part of it. But um, wow, they're yeah, they're, they're almost the same player. Yeah, they are pretty comparable. Um, so anyway, I, you know, if if the Tigers want to trade Cabrera, then you're probably talking about a pretty big teardown. Um, you know, guy. I mean, that puts if you're dealing Cabrera, you're probably also dealing Verlander. You're probably also dealing Zimmerman, who you just signed this past off season. Um, you know, you're probably de- dealing Victor Martinez. So, uh, I I don't know. I I have my doubts as to whether or not something like that could ever play out. I mean, the Red Sox are an obvious destination for any of those guys simply because um, of Dombrowski and the fact that he is the you know, he, he signed all those guys except for uh, Zimmerman. Um, so, sure, yeah, if the Red Sox want to go get Miguel Cabrera, <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> Let me give you a hypothetical here. Um, the Tigers call up and they say, all right, we'll give you Verlander and Miguel Cabrera for Moncada, Eddie Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers. Yes or no? So that's, that's kind of the... Uh, that's that's the deal the Dodgers made in in reverse, right? I made the Red Sox Dodgers uh, a trade in reverse with you know Beckett and Crawford and uh, uh, and, and and Adrian Gonzalez. Um, I, you know I, the the prospects are 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 much bigger, I guess, on the Red Sox side. And yeah, you, they'd be substantially more than. Anything. I think. I don't know. I, I'd have to think more about it to be honest with you. I mean. I think those guys on the Red Sox make the team better um, next year. The, the thing that I think is 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 tough is balancing winning now versus winning in the future, right? So the Red Sox just won what was it, ninety three games. They won the American League East. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, disappointing disappointing time in the playoffs. But I don't think that there's any reason to necessarily uh, say that they're going to take a step back next year. Um, Given what we know about, you know, their ability to reload in the off season, and the fact that they're, you know, so many of their contributors are are really young, um, I I don't think you need to do that. I don't think you need to bring in a Cabrera and a Verlander and take on that kind of financial commitment and send out that kind of um, that kind of talent, um, you know, to, to have a good team. I think they're, they are already a really good team. Um, I mean, instead of giving up that, you could sign, you know, Encarnacion to whatever it is, a four-year, $150 million deal um, and keep Moncada and Devers and, and whatever and yeah. keep Eddie Reyes. So is that, is that your preference to, to sign Edwin in, in lieu of these four potential trade guys that we talked about? Because I, I think – what benefit you get out of 
the four guys who we talked about in the trade. A few of these guys are going to be better fielders. A few of them are better hitters than Edwin. Um, you know, they're all really great hitters, but in terms of, you know, how, th- how they play in the field, that's a little bit of a factor. But, right, like on, on the flip side, like you said, we get to keep all of our new shiny toys, and it's just money. And it's just a four-year deal. With some of these other guys we're talking about, we're talking about a eight-year co- or seven-year commitment for Votto. Um, it, uh, I think it's about a six-year commitment for Cabrera, maybe even more than that. Uh, it's it's crazy, so some of the commitments that are out there for, for some of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, Cabrera is signed through 2023. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, another seven year guy. The the only one that really, the only two that really make sense are Freeman and Goldschmidt in terms of the length of their deal and sort of what age they'll be when those deals are up. But then yeah, again, I mean, they're going to be expensive. I think it doesn't. It, I'm not bothered by necessarily the the length of uh, of Votto's deal. You know, I he's. He's a guy that I would expect to hold some value, especially considering, um, you know, he the Red Sox have an opening at DH now. Um, you know, he can play first a little bit. He can DH a little bit. Um, I would expect them to, to have. I mean, that's it's a lot of money and commitment for that position. You know, it's not one that you see a lot of guys long term, uh, you know, sign big money long term deals and then go straight to DH. So, you know, I don't know the the Red Sox appetite for something like that. Um, but, but I I think I think there is a a balancing act to be had here. Uh, you know, you've got young guys like Betts and Benintendi and Bradley and on and on and on, um, who, you know, are are probably if not getting better, then then you would hope that they can. At, at least maintain this level of, of play of production, uh, you know, over the next half decade. Right. And so I think you have to balance that. I mean, those guys are, 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 are good young players and you, you can and should build around them. Um, at some point you're going to have to have some money available to pay them what the market will bear. Right. Um, or, or some, some reasonable facsimile thereof. Um, so you can't necessarily go out and – or you shouldn't um, go out and give $30 million to Verlander and 35 to Cabrera in 2022 when you're going to be wanting to pay $40 million a year to Mookie Betts. Right, yeah. That that's, does handcuff you quite a bit in the future. And that's how that's how we get uh, to – you know, Mookie Betts signs a big contract with the Chicago Cubs um, or or some something like that, you know. You you want to avoid that. You want to you want to learn from the John Lester situation as much as you can, um, um, and you want to keep those guys who, um, you know, who who are perennial all stars um, and who who can who have grown up in the Red Sox system and and are used to playing in Boston um, can produce there. I think that is uh, is is worth doing, and you need to plan for that on some level. So I don't think you need to blow up the whole farm system and the whole team to bring in guys who are on the downside. I I, I think I would stay away from from doing that. I I don't I do think the fact that Ortiz is not there anymore opens up 
uh, a spot where you could bring in a guy like Vado, depending on what the cost is. You could bring in Encarnacion. Um, you know, all, all these different names. Um, you know, and I, I do think that Hanley, as well as he played at first base, which isn't to say like extraordinarily well, but he was not a horrible detriment there. Um, I think he would be fine being the full-time DH, and you could you could put a guy like Goldschmidt or Freeman or even Votto there, um, and and it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, I think there's there's some flexibility. What uh, do you make of what do you make of the notion that Dave Dombrowski himself has talked about wanting to stay a little bit more flexible when it comes to replacing Ortiz? And he actually did have a quote where he said that. The, the production next year likely isn't going to come from one guy hitting 38 home runs or knocking in 130, but he's going to stay open-minded. Like, does that say to you that he's going to stay away from a big bopper like Edwin and maybe sign a couple smaller pieces like a Steve Pierce or, you know, like a Beltran? I mean, I think it points in that direction, yeah. Uh, I think one thing that we've seen with Dombrowski over the year or so that he's been in Boston is – he has been pretty honest with uh, the fans in the media um, about his intentions. You know, he said, we need a closer uh, and we need an ace starting pitcher. And he went out and got the best closer uh, you know, on the market uh, and the best ace starting pitcher on the free agent market. Um, so you know, when, when, he, when he speaks, I, I tend to listen a lot more so than I think you know, maybe other GMs. Um, but I think he also is – you know, smart enough and aware enough that he's going to explore a lot of different possibilities. I'm sure he'll talk about, at least internally, all the different names we've just discussed. Um, and, you know, I would expect him to certainly kick the tires on a guy like Encarnacion. Um, Makes too much sense not to at this point. Yeah, I, I just, I worry about the loss of a draft pick, but at the same time, it you know, given where the Red Sox finished this year, they... You know that it would be later in the first round, so it would be less of a less of a problem. You're not talking about losing the 11th or 12th pick in the in the whole draft. Yeah, I think we're looking at like the 27th pick, if I remember correctly. But it's it's way way back in in terms of that. So it's still a first rounder, but yeah, it's substantial. But what do you think of the possibility of the Red Sox trying to copy what the Indians have done here? Because two of the big guys that are going to be on the market this year and are going to get stupidly large contracts are going to be Araldis Chapman and Kenley Jansen, who we've seen do not quite Andrew Miller-like things, but pretty good stuff, especially in Kenley Jansen's case. Do you think he's going to take that route and go after them as one of the marquee free agents, or is this bullpen going to pretty much look like it looked this year because there's not a whole lot of impact guys outside of those two yeah i don't i don't know what his bullpen plan is um i'm actually going to have a piece up at bp boston later this week uh looking at uh how the red Sox can build a a bullpen from um from the guys they have on hand um with possibly an assist to koji i haven't decided how i'm going to handle that yet but the um I, I think it. I, I was going to say I think it depends on you know the on the money, um, but maybe it doesn't. With Dombrowski, he tends to pick a target and then not get scared by the dollars or or by the talent he has to give up to get it. He just kind of goes at it. Um. So, I I don't know. I, I guess that's a terrible answer to give you. Um. I mean, it's fair though. I mean, we don't really know what's going to happen. 
um, going into the next year. I would be surprised if he went after those guys because I just can't see a team like Chicago or a team like L.A., two teams that both have equal to or more financial clout than the Red Sox, letting either of those two guys go, considering you know what that means for their particular clubs. Yeah, I don't know if that part worries me. I mean, I think it's going to, you know, it, it's going to be like you said, it's going to be stupid dollars. Uh, it's going to, we're going to, we're going to look at that and we're going to go, oh my gosh, how did we not sign Andrew Miller when we had the chance? Um, you know, the other thing uh, is, you know, Kimbrell is the closer and, and, uh, you know, while we would love to, um, you know, in, in the perfect world have, uh, you know, Terry Francona, uh, and Andrew Miller and use them in those ways. Uh, you know, it's sort of the, the fireman setup. Um, I don't know how realistic it is to do that during the regular season. John Farrell doesn't seem like he is wired to make those kind of decisions, uh, certainly in season, um, and you know, we've seen Kimbrell struggle in non-save situations. So I tend to not put too much weight into that, but, um, Kimbrell did perform really well in a non-save situation in this particular playoffs though. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I wouldn't put much weight into it anyway, but uh, you know, I think you, you've got a guy like that signed long-term. I think you, you maybe talk to him about it because I, I don't think that you're going to get Jansen or, Chapman to sign unless they're the the closer, right? So I think you're talking about moving Kimbrel out of that role and and you know putting him as you know the seventh slash eighth inning guy who comes in and um you know puts out the fire before before you get to the ninth. I doubt he'd be okay with that, but I think that both of those guys are probably better than Kimbrel. They certainly were this year. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, um so. One more thing I wanted to ask you about, though, before we kind of head off here, is there's a few guys that are going to be free agents for the Red Sox uh, in the offseason and a few guys that they hold team options for. I'm just going to go through these guys real quick, and you tell me whether or not they should let these guys go or not. Okay. Uh, First one, Clay Buckholtz, $13.5 million option for next year. What do you think? I think you have to pick it up. Um, I agree. Pitching's too expensive. It's yeah, and and the it's not the thirteen and a half million dollars. That's that's not going to be a problem for the Red Sox. It's the one year. Uh, you know they don't have to commit long term. Um, you know we've seen good buckholts, we've seen bad buckholts, um, but you know the Red Sox need need depth in their rotation and their you know for as good as their uh, farm system has been. One thing they you know have struggled at doing is is um, you know, producing major league ready pitchers, you know we see, you know we saw Henry Owens struggle. Brian Brian Johnson had some problems this this year. You know he might be a guy who could step up a little bit next year, but we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, there's uh, not enough depth there. If you let a guy like that go, you don't want to be relying on Henry Owens starts like we were at times this year. Yeah, I so I think you have to unless you want to see Sean O'Sullivan and Rowanis Elias getting starts in June. I, I think you've got to, got to. Yeah. Bring back Buckholz. Yeah, God help us if that happens. Uh, Ryan Hannigan. Uh, I can't imagine that they would. 
I don't know what what is there to be gained. They have Brian Holiday as the same guy, um, you know that. I, I think uh, you know. Hopefully, Swihart moves back to behind the plate. Um, I mean, they they just have a, a ridiculous amount of guys who can catch but may not be actually that good. And that's you know, Handigan is is in that same kind of camp. I, I don't I don't see any any need for it. Yeah, Vasquez is out of options as well. So that's I think that's a foregone conclusion that Handigan is gone. Um, Aaron Hill. <laughs> There's a team option for Aaron Hill? No, this is these are free agents. Oh, 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 oh. I'm okay. sorry. Those were the two the two team options that they hold. These are free agent guys. Should oh. they try and bring them back or not? Uh, Aaron Hill's the first guy. Yeah, there's no reason. Nope. Um, there's they've got a bunch of guys uh, already lined up who can play third base, and you know it'll be I'll be interested to see what happens with Moncada, whether or not you know Dombrowski decides that they need. You know, Chris Sale so badly that you know, or or or, or whoever. But um, I I think Moncada may be maybe ready to play third base at the major league level more quickly than people who watched him at the end of this season might think. Um, I I would think that he could be up and and helping, not striking out every single time uh, this coming season, um, and. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he were the starting third baseman in Boston in 2018. Yeah, he's already performing quite well uh, out in the desert right now at Arizona Fall League, so yeah. it's a good sign. Um, I'm with you. I would let him go. Uh, Junichi Tozawa, though, what do you think about him? I think that ship has sailed. I, I think he, you know, he was fantastic with the Red Sox for the most part. Um, you know, really uh, under noticed, under heralded. Uh, that's not a word, but um, you know, guy, uh, a big contributor um, with with the Red Sox during his time here. But I think it's time it's time to say goodbye. Yeah, there's no bullets left in that arm. Uh, how about Koji Uehara? Going to be 41 next year, I believe, or 42 actually. He's going to turn 42 next year. I think if the Red Sox want to sign him for one uh, year, and you know, with the understanding that he's going to be a guy who throws 40 innings. Um, I think that is a perfectly acceptable use of of funds. Um, I think they they have a spot in the in the bullpen for him. Um, you know, I think the home run problem is not going away at this age. Um, the velocity is not going to come back. But we saw him go, um, you know, get get strikeouts on eighty five mile an hour fastballs. You know, at the at the chest. Right. So. He still has a lot of deception, and when that splitter's working, it's still an incredible pitch. I mean, the yeah, the, the numbers were were still, you know, really good this year. Home run, uh, home runs obviously are, are like I said, going to be an issue, but the strikeouts and walks, um, and they're both coming back to earth a little bit. But I think there's there's more there. Certainly, another season's worth. So, I would be all for bringing him back. Yeah, really, really incentive-laden one-year deal would probably be the right move with a guy like that with health issues. But I agree, like, if you can make him not your eighth-inning guy, if he can be, like, a sixth or seventh-inning guy, then you're in pretty good shape. So I would also try and bring him back if the money is okay. Um, last guy that I'll ask you about, um, last free agent that the Red Sox have, is Brad Ziegler. He's kind of stated that he wants to see what's out there, and does want to close games so it seems like this is probably not going to be 
an option for the Red Sox, but what do you think? I mean, he pitched pretty well when he was, you know, with the Red Sox. I, I think the Red Sox can replace that production from, from the inside. So I think I don't, Keith Hembry could do that himself. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't I don't think there's much of a need to, to do that. Um, I, I think, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, talk about how, um, you know, the, the success of the 2016 Red Sox was, um, you know, a lot to do with Ben Charrington. And I, I, I agree with that. And I think that Charrington should get, honestly, the lion's share of the credit for that, the success of this, this team. Um, you know, the guys that, that uh, Dombrowski uh, brought in played all right for the most part. But I, I think one of the, one of the big arguments for, um, you know, for, for Dombrowski, uh, one of the best moves that he made was the Ziegler trade. Um, you know, he, he gave up, uh, who did he give up? Is it, did he give up Wil- No, he gave up Wilkerson for, um, for Hill. You know, he gave up the, the other, a Swahe brother. Is that who it was? Uh, for Hill? No, no, no. For, for Ziegler. Oh, for Ziegler. Yeah. It was, uh, Luis Alejandro Basabe, I believe. He gave up the, yeah. I, I think he kind of tricked the, the idiot Diamondbacks into taking the wrong Basabe. <laughs> I don't know. They're both pretty good little players, but yeah, Alexander is definitely the well, more well thought of one. Uh, yeah, and I think that's who the, the Diamondbacks thought they were getting. And then the, anyway, um, but Ziegler played a, a you know a vital role. They they badly needed him, and they didn't give up much to get him. And uh, I think we we should tip our hats to him as he goes off uh, on his merry way. Yeah, he he's gonna get paid by somebody for sure. He's still really effective against righties. So, um, a few quick hits here before we end this podcast because we are going pretty long. Uh, as we always do. <laughs> yeah, as we always do. Uh, Brian Holiday, um, Josh Rutledge, and Fernando Abad are our eligible guys that they'll probably not tender contracts to. Um, the only guy there that I think there's a possibility of is possibly Brian Holiday, uh, if. Um, if Swihart is not sort of ready to go, because it seems like Leon and Vasquez are going to be the opening day guys, no matter what, uh, considering they both don't have options left, and Swihart does, and he still has to kind of work himself back into health. But Holiday is probably gone too. You disagree with any of those, or uh, if they can get Holiday, and I'm not familiar with the exact position that he's in. Uh, you know, in the process, but if they could get Holiday and be able to send him down to AAA back and you know back and forth if they need to, um, then I would be fine with that. Um, other than that, there's there's no need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's the guy you talked about right before Holiday? Uh, Rutledge and Abad. Abad. I, you know, I wonder about Abad. Um, oh, don't wonder about Abad. I know he's, he's so bad, and we have Robbie Scott. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'll be interested to see what what Dombrowski does with with, with uh, respect to Abad. Um, I I think you and I probably agree that that you move on from that. But um, but I wonder if Dombrowski will. I don't know. It would be a bad idea to resign him. <laughs> this podcast must end now. Yes, I agree. Um, all right. So for everybody out there uh, who's listening to us, we will continue to do peri- periodical. Um, 
Red Seat Podcast throughout the offseason, especially as news warrants. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, also on Stitcher. Uh, you can rate and review us at both of those places. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Matt at Matt, MattyMatty2000. And you can follow me at, at DevJake. <sighs> All right. That was a lot that I said, but thanks, Matt. Um, it was good to finally get back and talk about the socks and get into a real argument for once. So um, <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. So we'll be with you next time, whenever that is. And until then, thanks for listening.